Nick Noman. How are you, man? What's going on? Doing, doing great, Mark. Glad to be here. I'm super excited to, to get you on today and uh, to be able to connect. So uh, for everyone listening, Nick Noman is here with us today. Nick, can you start off by giving us a little background on you and, uh, and what you're doing right now? And then we can, we can dive into some fun stuff from there. Yeah, definitely. So have, have been in the growth seat for quite, quite a while, um, probably 12 years now. And 2011 came across Facebook and uh, was, was curious of uh, reaching people through a, a social media platform and was lucky enough, timing was on my side to be one of the first advertisers accepted onto the platform. I think I was like, top, the first batch was like 500 uh, beta ad, ad user. <laughs> Pre-pixel days. Pre-pixel. Um, yeah, pre-newsfeed, there were just right-hand, no, there, there was a newsfeed, but it was just right-hand rail ads. And it was truly the, the wild west of uh, advertising. Um, probably like very minimal algorithm to, to choose. Um, audience targeting was very primitive. And uh, yeah, out of, out of college, I wanted to uh, join a startup. Felt like I could, out of business, uh, business school, I felt like I could learn the most from a startup. So I joined this startup called Roost. Um, it was an online marketplace for social responsible goods. So what we did is we took all of these really cool products that had some kind of social impact, environmental, community um, type impacts and put them all in one e-commerce shopping experience or marketplace. And we used Facebook to really grow uh, that business. So, yeah, like I said before, it was like the days of just putting up a, an image, some copy, creating a landing page. Um, one of my first tasks was it, they actually did have a, uh, a, a pixel event and it took me like, took me like a month of of 40 hour weeks, 40 hour work weeks to like figure it out and set up, set up all the Google analytics tracking and pre Shopify. Pre, oh yeah. Way before a lot of dev, super difficult to set up custom conversion events, right? Nothing standardized. Yes. Um, so yeah, I spent like three months, like just figuring all that out and then just getting, just going super deep in the analytics and, um, it was cool being able to place ads in front of people. I thought that was uh, interesting, but I found when you could actually see the campaign work like that and know that I'm spending $50 this hour and I'm getting you know $100 in that same hour, I thought that was just so cool. Um, so um, worked with that startup for I think like three years. I was the first employee there. Um, and then, um, after that, uh, the company ended up not, not, uh, working out long-term, but all of the vendors and then got, then got sold to, um, a company and then all of the, and they didn't really do much with it, but all of the vendors from that company, uh, were like, Hey, you like helped us with all of our marketing, you know, even though that we were a marketplace, we, uh, supported a lot of them in their early days of like, Hey, we're doing this we're doing these paid ads and stuff like we'll promote your brand through our brand. And a lot of these companies like really grew and exploded. So, um, uh, they then came to us and said, Hey, can you do all of our marketing for us? Uh, um, which was kind of cool. Um, when the first company and like most startups don't, you know, don't work out, um, all the employees left and, and went off to do like, go get another job. And I thought, you know, it'd be really cool to like, I'm in a good state, um, in my career. I'm like two years out of college. I don't have much to lose. And I said, well, why don't I just like stick around after this thing? Like, you know, what happens when a startup like dies or what happens when a startup gets sold? Um, for some weird reason, I was very interested in that and decided to stick around, uh, with the founder of that company. Cause I knew that I would learn, I, I knew that even if I wasn't going to get paid 
as much as I could get paid somewhere else, I would, the, the, I felt like the experience would be interesting and I felt like I would maybe uncover some like nuggets of knowledge through sticking through and like wrapping up a company after it's like had its time. Uh, and I, wow, that was probably one of the most impactful years of, of the growth journey for myself of, of, of learning, um, what happens after like the final day of the startup. So yeah, then we, um, yeah, you were down there for the, for the whole like close migration, sell of assets and everything, right? Yeah. That's not, uh, it's not the most fun experience. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the worst part, the worst phase of any business cycle, right? Yeah. Usually, uh, when, uh, you know, when the, the company dies or, you know, ends its, ends its stage or reformats or anything like that. It's kind of like a, the flock goes, the herd just moves on. Um, but most people don't get to experience like what happens like after they get their final paycheck from a company. Um, so I uh, got to see kind of the flip side of, uh, of uh, the, the final chapters of a startup and got to see kind of like on the other side of the coin of like, okay, um, you know, here, here's what you do. In that space that I created for myself, it opened up um, opportunities to do marketing for some of our vendors for the, um, through Roos. The brands on the platform. Brands on the platform. And they're all super cool companies that are doing great things for the environment, community, different causes. So there are products that you could like really get behind and, and promote. Um, we found a subset of those being in the uh, women's apparel space, um, women's activewear, um, did a lot of the early marketing um, for Tiki, Onzi, um, helped out with Manduka. Um, these are, I don't even know if these, these, I don't even know if Tiki still exists, but um, super bright, vibrant colors, like perfect for primitive Facebook ads, just throw up a bright colored product. They stand out in the feed. They're very viral, unique, something you wouldn't find at a Macy's or a Nordstrom's or a local boutique. Yeah. People clicked on them, people signed up and people bought them. Uh, so once uh, we started getting clients in, um, I think it was like, we got one yoga brand and then we got uh, short par four which was like our first like cornerstone pro uh, project. Um, ran that for, ran it like not as an official agency for probably a year, just kind of side hustling and then turned into a formal business, which was called uh, Stealth Social, which then turned into Stealth Venture Labs. And um, Short Par 4 was one of the, the cornerstone clients for us. Still exists today. It's... Um, a golf apparel subscription where you go on finding golf apparel, especially for men, it can be a pain um, and is very expensive. You know, usually buy it at um, pro shops. Um, or back then it was expensive. Now there's like cheaper Amazon type products, but um, the name brand stuff like Travis Matthews, um, Oakley, it's expensive, you know. It's pricey. Yeah, it was designer, designer golf wear. Yeah. Yeah, you spend, it's, uh, you know, it needs to hold up in, in the golfing conditions. So it needs to be, it's made of expensive materials and the brands charge a, a, a premium on it. So, And no one wants to look raggedy on the golf course. You're spending a lot of money to play there. You're with your buddies. You want to stand the part. Exactly. So um, we helped Short Par 4 kind of mold this idea and uh, pivot their uh, product to a subscription. Um subscription i think like the early stages it was like a they would like like be like a personal shopper for them just wasn't really scalable yeah i i, I remember i remember the early days of short par four because this is when we were working together and i think the original yeah so this we're, we're kind of like hitting the like time where then uh mark joined joined we, me and mark joined forces yeah yeah and i was working i was working at stealth with with nick yeah I remember when we were working on short par four and the original model was like trunk club for golfers. And it was like, we'll send you a bunch of stuff and then you send us back what you don't want. And just no real offer. 
you know, not, it wasn't real any prop value. There wasn't like really any core value. Then like, we're going to send you some cool stuff and you can send back what you don't want. But, you know, the offer that you came up with, which was, and we tested out, like was just that front end offer for, for a subscription was, was awesome and became such a pillar for so many other things that, that I remember stealth was able to do. Right. Totally. Um, like the offer was, as you said, the offer was so key. I, I think when we, um, so I had a few clients was running paid media for now a couple of years and we always, uh, the beautiful thing with paid social is that you can test things so quickly and you can test offers and you can test audiences and creative and positioning things that you would especially back then when the exchanges weren't filled with the amount of advertisers. I remember, remember when you used to be able to launch an ad in like real time budget was enough. You know, you set the ad set budget to like 20 to 50 bucks and you could get results. You could see if it was going to work or not. You know, now it's same budget takes three to 500 a day and at least a week to really validate what's happening. Uh, so yeah, short performer was a corner, uh, cornerstone client. It really set the stage for, um, subscription commerce, which has uh, really been kind of uh, industry direct consumer subscription commerce, um, has been kind of the vein that I've st- uh, the lane that I've stuck stuck in for the past eight years. Um, but yeah, we did some really great work. We helped them go from essentially, you know, I think sub sub five hundred k per year to uh, I don't even know the numbers today, but um, they they grew rapidly. They have, they have tens of thousands of, uh, subscribers and, um, yeah, it's a great product and service that we were able to be, you know, really impactful in their, in their growth with the tools that we've, um, with the agency and tools that we use. Um, let's see another one. So that was like really cool because it was like from the ground up, we were able to like, and, and the partners were very like, just, just go and run and try things. And that, that was awesome. Um, the, I guess another cornerstone client would be a home chef where we just, um, that was like, wow, this can, these things can really scale, um, with the right offer, with the right team in place, the right, like funding in place. Um, so home chef came to us with like, not even a pixel placed on the site All right, the pixel was all like broken. Like conversion tracking wasn't in place. Like their, their campaign was just like, they didn't know what they're doing. They didn't build out a marketing team yet. So, uh, they came to us and they were like, Hey, we need your help. Uh, we looked at it like, wow, this is a really cool opportunity. Fits in the subscription space is a, um, product that is a consumable. So it naturally fits more in the consumer space or uh, subscription, uh, business model. Way higher LTV. Way higher LTVs. Than apparel fashion. Like how much stuff does someone need in their closet? But if someone's always going to eat three square meals, seven days a week. Yep. Yep. So they came to us and we got. Had, had some success, um, uh, let's just say up to uh, a certain CPA, let's call it $100, right? Um, had some success, but was having a hard time scaling. Uh, they had some business funding. They had some uh, different operational changes that improved margin, lifetime value ex- extended over time. And they're like, oh, well, we can go from 100 to now hypothetically 150. Uh, and that gap between $100 CPA and $150 CPA was going from hypothetical numbers, say 20K per month to three, uh, 3 million a month. <laughs> so just that little, just that little gap in, um, in, it's a pretty decent gap, 50% increase in, in CPA, but that gap allowed them to be the competitive force on Facebook and outbid everybody and scale um, in a time where these meal subscription plans were very, very popular and still are. Um, so yeah, that was like a crazy um, growth account that we had scaled them spending 3 million per month during the peaks. And then they just went from like series A, B, C, D, E, F, G to finally. Um, yeah. You just kept on raising more rounds, getting more growth capital. They finally, yeah, they grew, 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 um, eventually built a team fully in house, which we helped uh, transition and then sold to Kroger for um, good chunk of change. <laughs> so at that point I was like, 
wow, like I, I, I now own some of these tools to like really make like, you know, build a business, billion dollar business, you know, scale to billion dollar type business. Um, I have the tools to like kind of find product market fit with a variety of different accounts. So after running the agency for a while, and if any agency owners are on here listening, you can probably relate. Um, you know, at times it could get a little bit stale, you know, it doesn't feel like it's your own thing. Um, most agencies you focus on like one pillar of the business. And for me, I really wanted to like touch different aspects of the business. Like if I wanted to change an offer, I wanted to be able to actually like implement that new offer. Or if I surveyed the customers and they wanted, um, plain yoga pants versus crazy sparkly yoga pants, like I wanted to be able to like gather that information, then, um, impact the product, which, uh, is the most important thing in marketing, you know, the product that you, you, yeah, if you have a shitty product, you really are going to have the, the results are going to be the impact for it. Especially now. I mean, you could get away with all these, uh, <laughs> you get a lot away with a lot back then with those low CPAs and in CACs. But yeah, now, I mean, then, you know, a customer acquisition is so competitive that if, if your product sucks, even if you can sell it on the front end, if you're not making money on the, through LTV on the back end, then it's, it's not really worth the time or energy to do it. Yeah. So yeah, I was kind of like had this burning desire to, and, and working with clients is, uh, you know, can be draining, you know, it's, it could be draining. You have mentally, emotionally. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is cool, but, um, you know, really want to be like more in like intimately involved with something of my own. Um, so kind of took the, you know, lessons that I learned and said, okay, let's try something. I had a lot of experience in the um, athletic wear space and um, felt like that there was a business similar to short par four, but for women's active wear, um, where you'd get a full complete outfit for, it was, I think our entry offer was like $50 to get a full outfit. Apparel is very cheap. Apparel <laughs> is very cheap to make. Um, and if you don't sell, if you don't sell luxury apparel in kind of the first go at it, buying already sold art, um, ATS is like already like transacted inventory, um, or sale or something. I forget what the acronym is, but they, um, they would sell this at like nothing, you know? So we were able to buy all this, like this stuff. So the concept was, um, yoga club, um, we created, uh, I created a website on Shopify, took probably like an hour to create a basic theme, parallax theme, plug some images in and, um, then went to Pinterest. Um, I, I use Pinterest quite a lot to get inspiration from trending images and, uh, copy our industry type things. So, um, I use, I use a lot of tools, but Pinterest, I kind of use a lot to understand what people are searching for, um, and what images are, um, having high click through rates their algorithm organizes it by that so i um took the top <laughs> i just took the top uh, i typed in like crazy yoga pants scrape illegally scraped that image <laughs> maybe made some <laughs> that was before it was like before people even um <laughs> uh, maybe made some like a mashup of a few of them yeah before it was like a photo shoot that's gonna take weeks or months <laughs> Yeah, I was like, how can I like prove out a business concept in a week? So, and then, and then like kill it if it doesn't work and then like go forward if it does. So, um, yeah, hacked it together, um, ran, you know, took those Pinterest inspired images, um, had the offer of, we tested a variety of offers, but the $50, $50 for hundred dollars worth of activewear, um, complete outfit was like by far the, the number one performing. And like these things, like big companies take like months and months and months and tens of thousands of dollars to do these market research or like understanding what customers want. And it's like, we did this with like a fraction. Yeah, it was probably like a $5,000 like ad test. An idea, a meeting, a couple hours of implementation and setup, commit a little budget and let the results speak for themselves essentially, right? Yeah, I mean, I like hack this together and like, probably 48 hours and then built out the ad campaign, um, probably within a day and 
set it live, had everything in place and woke up the next morning with a hundred pretty cool over a hundred orders on this fake business, completely fake. Like we just did the feature on Shopify where you um, get them to go through billing, but don't capture their um, credit card information. Uh, so no, nobody was charged for this. Uh, but we were like, Oh my God, we have, we have uh, something here. Um, and then spent like the next month, like going through and apologizing to everybody saying, Hey, this is just like, was a proof, proof of concept. Like give us, give us 90 days to, to build this out and we'll, you know, give you your first box for free. Um, so yeah, that was the start of yoga club. Um, very soon knew that I needed to see, I wanted a CEO of the company. Um, I've always sat in the growth role and love sitting in the growth role and, uh, Brought somebody else in for the CEO, um, good friend Scott Yamano, and we we just said, "Hey, we're gonna raise money for this, and we're gonna shoot for the moon. This is not gonna be a uh, this is not gonna be a little side hustle. Not a scrappy backdoor garage startup thing. Let's make let's put some money towards it and get it to work, right? Yeah, it was either it was like very binary. Like it was at the time where the, these companies were like, you raise money, that's what you do. Um, so we said, Hey, let's, let's raise some cash. Let's, um, let's make it kind of a binary test and let's try to scale this as, as much as we can. Uh, and we did that, uh, which was, was, which was pretty cool. Um, then we had some like hiccups, like later down the line with, oh, oh let's, 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 uh, go back a little bit. So yeah, we were, we, we were just growing like absolutely crazy. Like we had like thousands of thousands of people coming in, like new subscribers each month off of one pillar, really Facebook. Um, and one lesson that I, I learned from this experience is that it's great when that pillar is working, but any ad buyers on here know, like it's not always rosy and Facebook is a great channel that you can scale, scale up but you can also get, can also be knocked down very quickly. Um, that's because users don't have intent to buy your product. It's they are being uh, persuaded to buy your product through uh, advertising while they're doing something else disruptive. They don't wake up in the morning. No one wakes up on Facebook and says, oh gosh, darn, I can't wait to buy some stuff today. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't like it. So we got it to a point, um, had, had some, turbulence with uh fundraising um we we grew so quickly like we needed to raise we were kind of hooked on this like needing to raise more money because there was really no way there was no like switching back like it's very hard once you have once you have the dna of a venture-backed scale at all costs growth company to then say oh today actually let's change everything and make this like a profitable like um, you know, business that we're going to run for the next 20 years, you know, especially with, with subscription, which, you know, has a natural churn, obviously you can mitigate some of that churn, but there's only so much you can do. So, you know, if you cut off the growth, then the churn's going to catch up and you're going to have some negative growth months. And, right. So it's, it's, a, it's a business that's definitely addicted to growth. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had, um, so we built a full team out. We had probably like 20 people between full-time and contract workers, uh, like Upworks type people that were like 20 hours a week with us. Um, but we built a proper team and we did some really, really cool things with, uh, with data, um, really advanced things outside of just the shell of yoga um, apparel in a box. We built some very um, complex algorithms on predicting um, lead source tracking and understanding how much that lead was worth in a projected lifetime value after they filled out the quiz. So it was a quiz they filled out like most like meal uh, or fashion, like stitch fix, you fill out a quiz, bunch of different data points. And we were able to, with time, create a learning algorithm that would accurately project that person's lifetime value without having to wait. And then we were able to port that projected lifetime value number and it was a learning algorithm. So then it like would just 
project it, timestamp it, and then over time understand if it was accurate or not accurate. And we tracked across pretty much every action that users could take. Um, they went to the site, if they logged in, if they pressed pause, if they, um, the questions that they filled out on the quiz, what um, zip code, IP address they're coming in from, what ad creatives they saw, like all of these different data source metrics were building this algorithm to understand projected lifetime value before we knew it. Um, so that unlocked some serious growth because we were able to bid on CPAs um, uniquely based off the projected lifetime value with confidence, um, which was like x-ray vision. Um, so that was one cool thing that we built. Um, and I'm curious with that, with that, with those like tr models, were you able to build direct lookalikes off of, off of those specific users that were tagged, throw that back into Facebook? Oh yeah. Yeah. So those were, uh, filtered back into Facebook in a uh, variety of different ways, um, before some of these, uh, data policies, uh, things. So we had like pixel events on every aspect of everything that a user did we would send data back to the site, uh, to Facebook. Um, but yeah, we created an API directly within Facebook way before Facebook conversion API was like in place. Um, we would save stored values of uh, uh, LT um, customer value ROAS campaigns. So we'd inject that um, projected lifetime value in as the value. So we would understand how users matured over time. Um, we did some very uh, interesting things with the idea of machine learning and apparel and the product itself. So we always felt like the customer always had the answer. And at the time it was me, Scott and Dave Palmer, um, all like data guys, low on the fashion score, high on the analytical score. <laughs> so we're like, why not just like, we're not going to be able to, we did have like, like designers and stuff. Um, on the team as well, but we're like, why, well, why don't we just let the data tell us what um, uh, different, what the customers want. So we utilized a lot of this like complex data surveying. So customers would fill out surveys before they would get the product um, or before we would make like uh, inventory buys. Any Anybody listening here that has physical inventory knows it's a pain. <laughs> it's If you make bad decisions on buying, it could tank your e-commerce business very quickly. And we wanted to like mitigate that risk as, um, as, most, uh, as much as possible. So we did, we implemented things like Trendsetter Survey, which would um, take all the past performing outfits. Um, we would generate new ideas, lots and lots of new ideas. When you're buying apparel, you can get samples very quickly and easily. But when you're buying the thousands of unit run, that takes, you know, three, four months. So we're like, why don't we just like throw up like 50 examples of products or outfits and then have customers rate them. Um, and then we could understand what customers like and why they like these different outfits and be very smart with their buying um, to mitigate risk, but then also like to create a stronger uh, sense of connection between the brand and the consumer because we're listening and if you voted for an outfit and then we made that outfit, like, wow, that's cool. You can actually get that. You can get it. Um, so that was some cool stuff we built. Um, we were kept on scaling, 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 had really, really tough time fundraising. Anybody out there that is going through fundraising process, like wish you strength through that process. Cause it's not, it's not fun. It's, it's backbreaking work and it's very hard to get kicked down multiple times and, and, and keep, keep going at it. Um, so yeah, we had a hard time, uh, fundraising and we were growing like crazy. So we had this, like, we needed funds to support the growth. If we stopped the growth, then like cat, the ship is going to go in the wrong direction. And that's like a lot of these like venture back companies, like how they survive is that you just grow so rapidly that you have your, it's, it's a necessity to raise money. So had some hiccups with fundraising, um, and then eventually had to kind of wind, not wind the business down, but reorganize the business a little bit to like find a new, um, owner of the company, um, ended up, uh, selling the company and then same thing, my sick and twisted personality. I don't know why, but I decided to stick around <laughs> again, um, through that. So saw another company at like kind of, it's like transition stage, 
not able to get venture funding, going through like new ownership, going through the sale process, also not a fun time, but very uh, valuable from a uh, from an education point of view. So if anybody out there has a chance to do that, know that it's it it does get it does get brighter, even though it could seem very dark during those times. Um, so yeah, stayed on for stayed on for a year, and the company sold again after the year. Uh, so lots of transition. Um, iOS was very hard. Uh, COVID was uh, was hard, not due to the demand for active work because it went up, but um, just due to like shipping and complexities there. Um, but yeah, we were able to like stabilize the business, and then a new owner came, uh, a new buyer came along, and then I was like, I am completely, completely done and ready to start something new, or be involved with something new. Uh, so my current project is. Uh, I think that I focus most of my time on is uh, a company called We Feed Raw, um, where I'm the CMO of. Um, we're able to assemble some of the same team from Yoga Club over, kind of pick up some of the pieces from the Yoga Club team um, through people that you know were either let go during the transition or downsized. So working with some of the same people, which is always great. You know, having a team that you can trust and having shared work experiences across multiple different projects is like so priceless. Yeah. Um, you take those battle wounds and that experience of, of, of going to war together to a new business, right? Exactly. You understand how people work. You can work a lot faster versus having to re-engineer the way everyone thinks and the processes internally. Yeah. Yeah. So a new project is uh, we feed raw. It's a, uh, better for you, raw dog food. Um, very similar, uh, backend mechanisms as Yoga Club or Short Par 4 or um, some of these other companies I've been involved in. User fills out a quiz, in this case about uh, do- uh, their dog. Fortunately, I don't have a dog, so I was, haven't been able to, I haven't been able to try the product for dog food or women's active wear. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you fill out the, the pet quiz, we collect all that information, uh, store it in all the places we can, um, making very um, complex data models on these uh, customer inputs and predictive analysis um, for those inputs. Uh, then we create a meal plan for the pet based on the uh, caloric needs, or the dog. We're only dogs now. We used to do cats, but we're only dogs now. Um, so yeah, and then they're kind of in like a meal plan, just like a meal delivery. Uh, we ship um, 100% frozen warehouse, ships dry ice. Uh, we've had very rapid growth this year and our, our market leader in the raw space, raw food space. There's some giants in the fresh food space, um, but we're, the company is We Feed Raw, uh, wefeedraw.com. And yeah, it's, it's uh, comparing the... So would like... A- would farm would like what is it yeah. called farmer's dog or something like that be considered yeah. like the fresh food space fresh food yeah. space um, and this is like completely raw um we go through a pretty intense um process of being usda approved um, human grade it has to be um, run through a cold pressure processing um, to make sure that it's safe when it arrives so there's no pathogens and stuff when it defrost yeah but dogs uh, pet parents love it there's a few different like reasons why this product exists um one well that's how dogs should be eating in the first place right yeah that's their the most organic form is raw food yeah um kibble it's like i wouldn't feed my my kids goldfish you know i'd feed them like full complete balanced meals so um it's kind of similar you know feeding your dog kind of very highly processed um not so good ingredients and uh, a lot of dogs suffer from being on those types of diets. If it's digestive issues, if it's joint pain, if it's um, their fur is falling out, if they're not interested in the food. Um, So from a marketing point of view, we really play on these types of pain point and um, like why our product solves for those pain points. Um, And when choosing this uh, new venture compared to Yoga Club was I wanted a must one of my things I needed in my new venture is, is a, it needed to be a must have product and it needed to like 
and it needed to be like a consumable product because I was going to, I was always planning on staying in the subscription space because um, as Mark, you mentioned earlier, it's like, if you can extend lifetime value, I know, I know it's the world is your, like, you have so much room you have, if you have a product that you can maintain a relationship with a customer and get paid year over year over year, your CPA increases. And like the home chef example, like if you're at a hundred dollar CPA and you're not, it's not competitive and somebody's beating you just a little bit, you're not going to get any of that volume. But if you have the room to go up to 150, 200 hypothetical examples, um, that could open up serious, serious, serious volume. Yeah. It's a game changer. I actually heard, I think I was listening to Taylor Holiday's podcast the other day. I think that's where I heard this, but the premise was when a SaaS company acquires a new customer on day one, that customer is exponentially more valuable to the SaaS business in the future because they know a guarantee what the LTV is going to be. It's sticky. The fulfillment on it is SaaS. So it's really hosting, it's some management, it's some support, but ultimately high margin, sticky, right product. People are going to use it for years. With e-commerce, it's the complete opposite. Day one, that customer, after day one, that customer becomes way less valuable over time just because of the nature of the business. You know, if you, if you're an e-com business and you have good growth and you've got a 20 to 30% repeat purchase rate, that's really, really good. You know, and in most brands are built around physical products, right? Whether it's cookware, yoga pants, whatever it is. And how much stuff do you need before your house is filled, you know, versus consumable, which the right consumable people use the same soap for years. They use the same, you know, they, they eat the same food. They do the same thing. So I, I think you're spot on is like having a consumable in a niche like the dog space, which I'm assuming it's not that easy to just wake up one day and be like, oh, we're going to sell, we're going to sell raw dog food. It's not like someone's going to go on Alibaba and find a raw dog food supplier, right? And if they do, you probably don't want to be buying it from them, but it's, it seems. Yeah. The barrier to entry and the risk, the risk of, uh, being a small player is really high. Um, and luckily I was able to, this company existed. Um, it is, uh, has financial backing. Like this is a very hard company to start from day one. You need infrastructure support, supply chain. It, yeah. It's a very hard company to start from day one, but it's been a very fun company to go from infrastructure setup to maybe not zero to one yet, but you know, the zero to one concept of, you know, finding true mar- uh, product market fit, price market fit, channel market fit, um, and seeing these like cohorts of customers just staying on for a long time, um, shows that it's, you know, people, people like these, this type of business. And it's, it's fun working for a, you know, I'm a, I don't have a dog now. I have two kids now, but uh, definitely a dog, dog lover. Yeah, Charles, yeah. Charles loves me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Charles loves you. Yeah. He still loves you. Yeah. For everyone out there, Charles is my husband <laughs> and I were, we lived in a almost, I wouldn't call it a hacker house, but it was a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of pros living together and we became lifetime friends and, and my dog was one of our roommates. So those were good, good old days on, on off of Harper. So, so what are your, um, points to e-commerce is this is why e-commerce is really hard is you have. Your two biggest expenses are negative cash flow expenses on day one, unless you have like a really amazing terms. But if you start a e-commerce business, you put your credit card down on Facebook and you got to pay every time you hit $900, right? Um, that's pretty bad cash flow. Not only that, but buying physical goods. Yeah. And then you have buying and doing buys months in advance, doing it offshore. And then you have a negative cash flow on buying inventory in advance especially when you're starting up no one's going to offer you terms you know unless you have a pre-existing relationship with the supplier so that's why e-commerce businesses are really hard and um the the way to make e-com work is that either your cpa is so low that you profit on your first customer and you have enough extra cash flow there has to be that extra cash flow when you're starting to then go buy inventory for growth if you are in a scenario where your CPA doesn't cash flow on your first order, it creates a really hard, um, just mathematical formula of 
not being able to grow. Like you essentially can't grow. You're going underwater after day one to just try to get back on the surface. And repeat purchase rate is not so great um, industry average on um, e-com. Only very few brands like truly hit that um, multiple repeat purchase rate. And that repeat purchase rate could be a long, a very long window. Like maybe your customers only buy your product once a year, you know, so if you're negative on that customer for the, based on your customer yeah. acquisition costs and your margin, you have to wait a whole year of holding that negative cash to then, um, maybe they come back again. Yep. It creates, it, it creates a lot of issues and it, in as CPAs have risen, as margins have tightened, um, as prices has increased, as conversion rate drops. Tracking's become more challenging just in general to really understand where, what cohorts exactly in your campaigns are actually performing. As consumers macro shift and buy less stuff in the next little bit, um, it's going to squeeze a lot of these e-commerce brands. Um, out and it's going to really force e-commerce companies to be like have a really great product that either have really good margins because it's a great product um, so you can cash flow or um, you just have a just have really good lifetime value totally or and also or a mix of you also own your own media yeah which i think is a big one and i think that's why so many celebrity backed brands have had such such success because if you can launch on day one exactly and you're not forking out that credit card to Facebook, you know, every time $900 forks over you, that free media is, uh, is, is priceless when it comes to cash flow and, and growing the business over time. Yeah. Or like what I recommend for e-com, um, operators that are just starting, it's like, don't go directly to Facebook, like maybe use it or these are any social media tools or paid search, um, tools. It's like, maybe use, utilize those tools to understand some really important things about your customers because you're going to get ROI off of that. Like what messages do they respond to? Like test a few value props uh, very quickly, um, test different offers, test those things on those channels. And even if you don't convert anybody, like you still know, like what ads are getting like high click through rates and what can audiences are working. And there's just a wealth of data just from a small investment in, in understanding what people want and what they don't want and like build your product and try to like get your product to sell without advertising first, because advertising is really only going to help great products in my opinion. And if you can't figure out that product market fit, um, you could get in, in dangerous waters by just trying, trying to, to have these channels like save the day. And if it's challenging to convert organically, regardless, it's going to be way more challenging to convert through ads when you're trying to stuff it down someone's throat. That actually brings up a good point. What, uh, what channels would you recommend that people focus on organically? Is it, is it earned media? Is it, is it PR? Like, is it, what, what would you recommend people do to more or less try to prove an offer or a product before they go to paid? So if you're, if you're in that product market fit stage, um, SEO, does take a while and you might rank for key terms that don't really like bring qualified customers to your, um, to your type of business, uh, to start, like I said, I would, I would, if I was starting an e-commerce brand tomorrow, I would spend a little bit of money in doing the research on the paid social channels, using it not as an acquisition channel, but using it as a market research tool, proof of concept, see what offers people are resonating with seeing what products, maybe test a few different products. Um, I think entrepreneurs kind of young entrepreneurs get like stuck to like one idea and it's hard to change it after they're like stuck on something. But like we live in a world where you can try five different ideas and pick the one that works the best. Like that's not against the rules. You know, you don't have to like, you don't have to like have a for sure like baked out idea to start a business. Um, you can definitely still be in that testing phase or like maybe an iteration on your, pro on your, idea works better we sold hula hoops for a long time like travel hula hoops i think mark remember <laughs> hula hoops remember the dvds the whole workout series yeah you know it's interesting i you know i say to nick like if i was going to start if i was if i had some niche that i'm super passionate about i tell people all the time now when they ask what would you do i'm like i would just start a youtube channel 
I would build myself up as a personality in that niche and be the expert on it. And when I look at like a lot of brands that are super successful, like one of my favorite brands right now is, uh, is a brand called Heart and Soil, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, is, it's uh, Paul Salandino with Carnivore MD. And they've built an insane community around selling essentially freeze-dried, um, you know, you know, animal-based supplements. And people love them. They have incredible reviews. And they've built that whole community off of generating YouTube content about the carnivore lifestyle and interviewing people yeah, about it. Yeah, organically, like, it depends on, it very much depends on the product. Like, first, like, is your product, does somebody, like, yeah. your example, does somebody wake up in the morning and, like, oh, I need this something today? Does this, like, like raw dog food, is something that actually people search for, right? Like, there's search intent. And it's also a new mechanism. Like it's something that someone's never gotten an ad for. Exactly. Which I think is unique too. When you're first to market with that unique mechanism and offer, it's something like you go back to yoga pants. Remember when no one was selling bright, crazy, neon colored yoga pants? It's like, I've never seen these before. When you're new on a platform with a new offer, a new product, I think there's a huge opportunity there. So like back to your like organic question, if you don't have a ton of money, like that's okay. That's actually like a, that actually could be a benefit versus like, so you go through Y Combinator and then you're like, okay, now I have t several million dollars to like deploy. Like you might miss that like very like um, important like learning phase of your business um, or your product market fit and then channel market fit. So, you know, I would ask like, is this a product that somebody somebody's already searching for? Like, is it a beanie or like, or is it like a sweatshirt? Like people searching for this um, that they need or like raw dog food people actually search or dog food people search that online. Um, like, then I would think about, okay, how can I put my organic message to some things like uh, SEO, YouTube, places where people are searching for that thing, right? YouTube, we do very well organically on um, because a lot of people are searching for uh, We Feed Raw because it's an education product. So people need to be like very educated um, and they go down, they go down the rabbit hole of raw feeding um, about their dog and spend hours learning about, you know, the competitors and doing that education. Is it safe? What should they eat? Yeah, absolutely. Is it safe? Like, how is it going to ship to me? Like, how much am I in for each month? Like, yeah. like what are the benefits of it versus all, all the nuances? So people like really spend the time and hours of, of researching this. Can I do this on my own? Um, like, why? Is it safe to do it on my own? Yeah. What, why is kibble so bad? Like, if your dog has a particular allergy, like then you could add the rabbit hole of different allergies and why they have allergies. And so um, you have to like really think about your product in particular and like where are those people, are they searching for it? Or are they just like, is this this crazy new product that nobody's ever heard about and they need to like be dis disturbed on a channel, right? That's like the first thing. So then there's organic sources for each of those. Um, YouTube for like search, um, yeah, social, TikTok, um, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, et cetera, for um, social. Pinterest is probably more search tool than anything. But um, YouTube Shorts, I think, is like a if your product like fits well with it in education, if people need to be educated on your product and like to be educated on your product, if there's content to talk about, if there's questions to answer about your product um, or service or industry, I think YouTube Shorts is like totally like new frontier um, I had like, are you guys making a lot of YouTube content organically for the brand? Yeah, we lean on, we lean on, we do some of our own organic content. We also lean on influencers that we send like free product to and then repurpose theirs and repurpose their content for our organic usage. Um, but it's all like question answer. Um, Cause when you go into YouTube and most people go in there to like learn things, you know? So when you type in a question, you know, you're, like understand what those questions are. There's plenty of tools out there like Hrefs where you can see all the questions that people are asking about your particular category or a CMrush. Understand what are the questions people are asking and then find those platforms. If they're asking a question, it's probably YouTube, um, writing blog content around it. Um, if it's a discovery product, like this heart in soil supplements, like probably in the early stages, like not many people were like searching for like beef, beef organ, uh, supplements, totally. you know, cause people didn't know, 
like there had to be some education but um so like really smart strategy for them is like go out to all the people that out there that are talking about this stuff already and like plug the product for influencers because this product like ours there's there's lots of similarities it's like there's health risks like does this actually like improve it or just wasting a bunch of money on another like supplement you know it's actually a really good idea for you through ads nick if you if you take a look at their paid social ads just in you know facebook ads library uh, they they have people on their team that read reviews and it's so simple but it could be an idea for you i i thought it, i think it works really well for this consumable niche supplement niche where it's like hey it's it's Mark and I'm with We Feed Raw. And today I'm going to read you a review from Janet who has a five-year-old Husky in uh, West Virginia. Hey, it's Janet. And just read the review. You know, it's, it's interesting. It brings it to life. Yeah. Yeah. Another idea too that we, it's another thing that we've been working on with some of our clients is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Video Ask, but it's a tool that's part of Typeform's platform. And essentially, like, let's say you send an NPS score, a promoter score, like to someone and they score a 10 out of 10 on it, right? They're like, we love this product. You can then send them another follow-up that's like, hey, could you give us a video testimonial about how the products changed your life? We're also gonna send you a free gift in the mail if you send us one. And Video Ask makes it really easy to just get someone to record a video directly through a browser on their phone or desktop. So directly to their camera and their phone. Yeah, so pretty cool. We're, we've been working on that with a couple of clients right now in the supplement space help them build it out just get some more social proof love that i'm sending it on yeah. my uh, marketing slack channel right now yeah well, yeah we've used uh, type form for so we've pushed the limits, you pushed the very, limits on type form yeah. i'm very uh, familiar with their uh for their api their... <laughs> for sure for sure yeah <laughs> api integration yeah, i'm sure yeah. yeah we did some really cool stuff with type form that's awesome but definitely hit their limitations I'm curious, are you guys built on Shopify? Are you guys in Plus or another platform? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. So we, um, the when the user goes through the quiz, uh, there is a very complicated uh, formula that is computed to every every dog has its own custom meal plan because of if the dog is spayed or not spayed, male or female, how old the dog is, how um, active the dog is, there's a lot of parameters in that survey, right? That affect everything. Yeah. There's call it 2000 wow. different combinations. There's different pro there's different proteins. So 2000 different combos of food that you guys are actually, so technically you guys have like 2000 different products out there, right? In combos. Yeah. There's, there's 2000 different like combinations, um, of, uh, the products that we ship. There's six different proteins. Customers can, there's two different type. There's, uh, small packets, large packets, um, small, medium, large packets. So if they're a small dog, they'll get smaller packets. If they're a big dog, they get big packets. Um, the the machine learning will also plug into our three PL, so we'll match them match them with a box that is actually economical to ship. It's shipped frozen with dry eyes, ain't cheap, right? So if you ship, yeah, I'm assuming very expensive, yeah. So if you ship a small amount of food in a big box, it causes, you know, it's, you're losing money on that order. So there's a lot of sophistication that we're building out with matching, putting them into one of those 2000 buckets. And um, so the customer experience is great, margin stays great, lifetime value stays great. So um, those things are hard to do on Shopify. Um, so our... I guess front end it front end is uh, all custom built, um, and then, like I said, we store all and similar with Yoga Club. A lot of front end stuff was custom built because we were doing all this complex matching to different outfits and stuff. Um, we use Chargebee. Um, sorry, Recharge, um, but we're using Chargebee um, for, yeah. for this um, brand. Just has more capability for recurring billing uh, platform. So that's actually your backend billing CMS. Yep. And then it also, because we love Shopify oh, got it. so much, it also will make a record on Shopify. So Shopify is also a source of truth. You can call it headless. Um, so what's, what's the front end built on? Is it in Webflow or? No, it's fully custom built, fully custom uh, front, front end. Um, 
So you guys are still using Shopify as like e-commerce engine, charge B for fulfillment, for billing and then custom front end, right? Everything kind of ties together. Yep. So, um, users don't check out on, uh, Shopify. Majority of people are in the subscription and this is like, when you have a subscription business, you want to like keep them focused on that and not. For sure. You don't want to get people distracted. Yeah. You want like the. No shiny object syndrome when it comes through. Exactly. Exactly. So you want to get them through the funnel. You want them to see subscription as the main thing. Um, but because of the power of Shopify and all of the tools that it plugs into syncing with Klaviyo, uh, um, the syncing with the deep the data tools that we use, syncing with um, different retention um, tools, syncing with like stamped and review tool. Like there's just, you guys know this, there's tons of, there's tons of apps and stuff that you can just press a button and then you don't have to build out yourself. So um yeah it took it took quite a while to like architect those three pieces together but we're definitely um benefiting from having like shopify record um utilizing chargebee's capabilities uh nothing against recharge love love the recharge guys have put tons of companies into that um platform with probably yeah we were working with we were working with them since they were since they were uh, bootstrap heroes <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, we were working with Oshin. Yeah, we were working with Oshin when he had like probably ten clients. Uh, yeah, it's what a great what a great story and business that they created. That's awesome, man. So yeah, th- like things have been things are great. Like it's it's nice being a part of a team versus like being like a, you know full on founder <laughs> of a company. Totally. And you get a lead, you get a lead and you get capital and access to a lot of these resources, right? Yeah, totally. So, um, definitely learn a lot from both being an agency operator, um, running a business for a product that isn't necessarily a must have in a world where you have, you, in order to scale to where we needed to go, you need a must have product. Um, and yeah, and to the team that we've that we've built is just awesome. You know, we, we were able to, to create and push the boundaries on a lot of, um, push the boundaries definitely on a lot of these, uh, things that are outside of the consumer facing product. Like we're creating products within the business that could be their own SaaS product standalone, you know, um, that nobody else has because we don't have the, you just can't buy some of these things off the shelf. Um, so that's super exciting too. And it's challenging. Like just, if you're a carnivore and you want human grade, like organs, meat to just eat on your own, there's very few places you're going to find that regardless. So to be able to, nor is it cheap. So to buy it for your dog is definitely, you're going to have to, you're going to have to have a very, very, you know, you're going to be spending a lot of money on that regardless. So yeah, I think what you guys are building is awesome. And I can't wait to see, you know, where you guys are at another year, two, three years. What are you, uh, to, to wrap up, because I know we're going a little over, but what are you most excited about for next year when it comes to e-commerce, either different platforms, tools, different things that you guys are working on that you see, like, what do you, what do you see is going to be happening with, with e-commerce, like over the next 12 months? I haven't been, let's say I've been faithful to Facebook. Um, I feel like we're going to enter into a little bit of a golden age on Facebook again. We're seeing tremendous results on Facebook, by far our best performing platform and scaling like just crazy right now. Um, I feel like the news and media has um, bashed Facebook a lot. A lot of advertisers have are starting to leave the platform, but the user base is, is uh, slowly growing. Um, I think we have another few years of, of really good times on Facebook because it's an auction system. So if, Unless you're advertising, if you're if you're advertising product to really young people, you know, under under thirty, under twenty five, maybe, um, I think Facebook is still an extremely powerful tool. Um, I'm very excited about YouTube um, because if your product has search intent, uh, there's lots of really cool things that you can do if you know the nuances of YouTube and um, pairing that with paid search and, and display. Um, user sees video, users interacts with certain video, 
um, in our case, like segmenting different um, segmenting different pieces of content for the pain point that the, the, the end consumer has. So serving allergy, the dog has allergy. You can serve a ton of content to them on YouTube. And if they watch all of the ads, you know that they're in market now, right? Then you can serve them across. Yeah, you can really niche niche down like what is the pain and the problem and then present the offer to that person with that pain problem solution. Totally. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about Facebook, especially for our product. Um, I'm excited about YouTube and unlocking the growth there. YouTube shorts, if like talking about organic opportunity, like that is, that is a gold mine right now. Just insane, insane growth right now. And just in just free eyeballs and views. Yeah. Um, I think the new consumers, um, made by new consumers coming in, um, are, are going to called 18 year olds today are going to bypass the Facebook and Instagrams of the world and go find their new platforms. But I think we have a long time before people start like abandoning Facebook and Instagram at a high rate. Um, also like when you're managing a team, it's like you have to stay super focused. You can't juggle like 10 different channels. Like you can try things out, but like if you're doing Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Pinterest, all these different things, you're just going to, from my experience, you're going to do going to burn everyone out. You're not going to be able to be like 10 X on each platform, right? Yeah. You'll be like, you'll be like, okay. Across a lot of platforms. And these days you need to be like really great at, at, you need to be really great at one. So, you know what I wanted to mention to you too. And speaking of like trying to be on every platform or trying to be omnichannel and doing a million things. Did you hear about the wink bankruptcy? Mm, I probably, I, I kind of, uh, figured it was coming. Yeah. I just, I was just reading about that last week. Um, they went bankrupt. And when I think about Wink, I mean, I remember when they were the D2C darling of LA four, five, six, seven years ago. And then they just kind of like, you're just, where did Wink go? And at the same time, they were trying to do a million things. And I think completely forgot about their core business, which was subscription commerce for ETH, you know, in the first place. So, yeah, they started to, I mean, you know, cause you were in the wine industry before, um, but they started to do private label stuff and Private labels sell into Trader Joe's, like, you know, and all these other retails and verse, I thought their model from the beginning was very, very great, which was very similar. What you had full feedback loop. It was designing cool labels and making cool wines, having a badass team of winemakers, and then taking the feedback from what customers were saying to make better product, you know? So yeah, when I saw that, I remember, I think it was like three or four years ago, they had they were doing that. I, I don't know if you ever saw, but they were, they ran a crowdfunding campaign and they're running ads for it aggressively, like invest into this round. And I think they only, they raised like four or 5 million bucks. And then, uh, that obviously went public. Yeah. You, typically that, I don't know. A lot of times, I mean, we did that. We did that with yoga club when we needed cash. It's usually like, uh, desperation. Yeah. Cause if you have a good business and it's growing and metrics are solid, um, it's easier to find it's easier to find the money um if you can't find the money then you go into these crowdsource platforms to because it sounds great right throw throw it up you don't have to talk to anybody and money will come in but a a lot of times it's kind of too too good to be true or there if it sounds too good to be true it's too good (laughs) yeah but i'm very optimistic about um the future i think that um brand marketers have to be really sharp you can't just like rely on um you know a bit optimization strategy or like finding a like growth hack to like like make a business grow at least to you know there's only so much financial engineering you can do in the back end of ads manager before you need a really good product you need a good experience and you need to connect with customers yeah we spend a lot of time on creative and like if you can pump facebook with or, or any of these platforms with like really, really awesome creative, like that's all it needs, you know? It needs the right, yeah, absolutely. Great product, great product, a, a, a high enough CPA that you can actually make money on and back out. A good offer. And good offer and like great creative. Like if you put it up, like it's not like. You're totally right. And you know, one thing that we've been working on more for our clients, we still have like a, a half dozen clients we run paid for is just making you those short form, short form, like product focused videos that are like problem solution offer zero risk. 
combining those things together, it's almost like turning an advertorial into a video now. It's almost like a short form video sales letter, you know, for, for products. Yeah, a whole other, um, probably a yeah. whole other hour conversation is on AI oh writing God, bots yeah. and how those are, how we're utilizing those to, with our content marketing ecosystem and um, ad ecosystem, Jasper, yeah, boss mode, Jasper boss mode, yeah. <laughs> Jasper boss mode, love it. Uh, we've been doing some really cool stuff with uh, multivariate testing and trying just to push the limits on on that and um, yeah, organic. I mean, talk about organic. I don't know if Google will ever be able to like track if it's AI written, but um, it's a uh, pretty pretty awesome. You can write write tons of blog posts within. I'm not. I'm a horrible writer, and I I could write a pretty awesome blog post within say five minutes. I'm gonna send you a, a like after this, I'll send you a, a, this uh, podcast. I was listening to My First Millions. Have you heard of My First Million? It's a podcast by. It's in the HubSpot network. The founder of uh, of the Hustle. Oh yeah. yeah and yeah. then his partner Sean Fury are there. They co-host it. They did an episode yesterday talking about like different AI and how you can have full-on conversations with someone in history. Like you can have a conver or you can have a full-on conversation with Elon Musk and ask him questions and he'll give you these strategic answers. Or you can ask Michelangelo or like, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's as long as there's enough like written, like written content on the web about them or from them, you can do that. Yeah. Pretty cool. Well, Nick, I know we've gone over today, but, uh, Dude, it was amazing having you on. And if anyone wants to connect with you, you know, is there any way people could connect or or see you? Is are you on any of the socials? Um, I don't check. Like, I kind of fly under the radar a bit. Um, uh, you could message me at nick at wefeedraw.com. Probably the best cool. uh, way to reach me. I'll be I'll be uh, on that project for for a couple of years, hopefully. Awesome. Well, I'm stoked to see how things go and. And, uh, dude, it's, uh, you're, you're one of my best friends in, in the, uh, in the industry. And I'm so happy to hear what you're doing and thank you for coming on today. Yeah. Hopefully this was, uh, yeah. Got some nuggets for everybody. See ya. Yeah. Take care. Bye, Mark.